Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States. I'm your host, Tim, and as always, I am joined by my co-hosts, Lavelle and Carlo. Good morning, gentlemen. It is a hot and sweltery week here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It is uh, the middle of July. It is nearing 100 degrees already, and it is only 9.42 in the morning. Uh, my studio is really warm, so I don't think today will be a super long episode, because if I open the windows, we hear nothing but the birds and the very slight warm breeze. And with the windows closed, it's pretty damn warm in here, because this computer generates a lot of heat. With that said, let's jump into our first section right off the jump. Hobby progress. The summer is a time for tournaments, as you'll hear over the course of this episode. So I'm sure that my co-hosts are doing a lot to prep for coming tournaments. So, Carlo, why don't we start with you? What have you been up to? Um, so I have been uh, trying to build... I built a new list for that summer slaughter tournament, which we'll talk about later. And I had to pick up another box of Wolfen so I could make my stuff WYSIWYG. Um, right now I have my lay, my two Wolfen squads are laid out uh like you would see on the front of the box, two axes, two Thunderhammer Storm Shields, and one uh, Frostclaw guy. But uh, I'm running four Thunderhammer Storm Shields and a Frostclaw pack leader, so I need to buy another box, basically, to build four more Thunderhammer guys for the two squads. Um, and I am also working on converting all of my... and also building some new ones. Depends on how much stuff I have on Sprue, but I'm in the process of building all new like Blood Claws for my list because I'm running a lot of those. Um, and yeah, like pretty much just been doing that. I've been trying to help uh, another buddy get his army painted. Um, we've been talking to Sasha about like a quick way of doing it since the contrast paints came out and like the, the different uh, sprays using those to quickly paint an army up. So I think I might try some of that. Um, I've about 74 Marines I'm bringing to this, tournament and i need to paint wow. about half of them <laughs> wow then. it's about two weeks away so <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah that's pretty much what i've been working on um been trying to listen to uh, a couple that audio book uh, we're doing the review on while i'm doing that um i've been uh doing some chores around the house pretty much it oh i did check find a new shop actually so i played it i played a game with uh, a buddy um, who's on uh, team the American team for ETC and ITC, and uh, he like severely dismantled me. I could talk about that game later <laughs> if you guys want. But so we were supposed to play a game at this shop in New Jersey where I used to live uh, in Hamilton, and uh, there's a store there called Family Fun Hobbies. I think it's called. And I was like, I went in there and we were supposed to play a game there and then ended up having like a kid's camp so we couldn't get it in. So we ended up playing it elsewhere. But uh, I was like blown away by the um, the uh, stock they had. They had so much, all kinds of stuff, really. They had um, magic cards, they had uh, rockets, like kids' rockets, you know, you can launch up and then uh, like all different crafts and stuff. But they had a huge 40K stock too. It was a you know, it, uh, they had all sorts of apocalypse stuff, all sorts of kill team stuff, um, a full wall of uh, GW stuff and paints, everything from Army Painter you could want. Um, 
fully stocked. I hadn't realized they'd been there for like 10 years. I never even knew it. They're like kind of nestled in this little shopping center between a few. It's like a strip mall with a few uh, um, pizza places and stuff like that in there. So you wouldn't expect for them to be there. But it's really cool hey, to find that store. Can I add in? I think it's interesting. You find a really, really good store that's new and you don't try to hide it from people. Have secret yeah. stores like other people <laughs> and, and keep the stock to yourself. I think that's interesting. I think it, you know what? It says something about character. That's a, just a different way to do it. That's all. It's a different way to handle it. <laughs> yeah. We, is that the word we're going to use? Yep. Different. It's just different. It's not better. It's just different. <laughs> yeah. In kindergarten, I learned a different word. Selfish. <laughs> Kind of in the way that like Horus is different. Horus right. <laughs> <laughs> is just different. He's just different as well. He's got different attitude. Just different approach. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> what about you, Lavelle? What's been going on? So I've I've been working on my. I've been doing a couple of things. I have this um, an unofficial. It can't be a slow grow can, can, campaign. Uh, a slow came a game. A slow growth came game. We're up to four thousand. Yeah, I think 4,000 points um, that I've been playing, you know, alternating Friday nights at Gamers Heaven with Annie. And her and I have been playing. It's It's been interesting. I think right now, I think we, at first it was supposed to be best of three when I could see that wasn't going my way. <laughs> best of 12. <laughs> it might end up that way. But I'm up right now. All right. Um, I switched to my Necrons and I put, you know, 3,500 points in Necrons on the table. And it was a really against uh, Harlequins and Yanari, and it was I did very well. So I've been doing that, and I've been getting ready with my summer slaughter list. Again, we'll talk about that later. But here is the thing that I'd like to report out again, and the sake of for the sake of not being different, I discovered um, a, a, a small service, Marauder Industries, and. What uh, Caitlin, her name is, and what she does is she makes a uh, movement trade. She does. She must have this device called the Glowforge, which is like an etching machine. It's absolutely awesome. And um, I got. I think at first I ordered a couple of movement trays, and now I've gone movement tray crazy. I'm building out to all of these movement trays. She's very responsive, very very fast. Even as we sit together now, um, I, I am well putting the wooden pieces together using clips and wood glue and it's going very well i'm also building out that tape uh, table the display board um did you guys see it i posted pictures to instagram yeah so um she did that work too and um i i'm i'm really working on that i have been mostly this month playing oh you know i just told a lot i just picked up a, another uh, imperial guard army <laughs> 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 come on son <laughs> um, yeah I just picked up another I, I, somebody was getting rid of a solar uh, solar army and I'm putting that, that that together and I also got called out by my son because apparently the last imperial army imperial guard army that I traded away for some reason was not mine to trade I guess it was his oh <laughs> so he he, uh, he kind of brought me up in the gaming and now I've been charged with replacing that army who knew it was in my basement <laughs> it's your basement <laughs> right I was like hey I didn't even know I had this and I traded away the telemann Tim yeah 
What's your hobby progress looking like? So last month for Liberty Hammer, I had put together a thousand points of Grey Knights, almost finished them, have to paint like a billion different little falchion swords. Uh, but I almost finished those. So for this month, I've been building and started to paint, and I'm almost finished with the next thousand points for Summer Slaughter. So I'll have a total of a... The, the the total count of models will be like over 2000 points but i can take you know bits and pieces of it to have a 2000 point list for summer slaughter i added a land raider which i have built and i illuminated the interior because that's what i do i paint the interiors of space marine vehicles and i put a light in there so we can appreciate how lovely they look and uh as soon as i get back from my vacation i'm going to paint that thing up i built um all the special characters I could get my hands on. I have a Brotherhood Ancient. I have a Paladin Squad. I have um, Castellan Crow. I have uh, Drago, etc. So there's a lot of little characters that I needed to paint. And, you know, painting Grey Knights is fun because, you know, getting the armor gray is one thing. I can do that pretty quickly. But then painting every single scroll and book. They have a lot of books on them, everybody. The Grey Knights read a lot of books. So I painted every single book with you know brown leather around the outside did the paper pages and then I did I you know did little lines of fake text and even did some red marks to do like an illuminated manuscript look on some of them so I went really like way too far off the deep end than necessary on these gray nights so that took up like a huge amount of brain space uh, which was fine but you know I I I got so tired of painting Grey Knight books that I switched over to do some Infinity stuff uh, last week. So I, I started painting the big uh, Yu Ching tag looking thing. The, and, and what's odd is it looks a lot like a, a Nemesis Dread Knight because it's got the baby, the Battle Bjorn thing happening where the little guy is strapped to the front of the big guy. So I basically uh, painted, yeah. I painted a Dread Knight and then I painted the, the Infinity version of a Dread Knight, which is arguably a cooler model the infinity model is cooler it's in a better stance has a cooler sword with a little hook on it it's a pretty badass model so i started that just to get my mind off of uh painting purity seals and oaths of moment and the books <laughs> and it was just it's just awesome. absurd. there's so many little things to paint on those models it took me forever and i found you know i found my face like getting tired from you know focusing very closely and I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta back up for a second. So I did, and then I painted an Infinity model. I was actually gonna start a Gundam kit just to paint something really big, <laughs> so I wouldn't have to fuss with my tiny brush anymore. <laughs> what Gundam kit would you have painted? I have, um, I have a Heavy Arms. Uh, I forget what series it's from. It's, it's probably Is it just the two guns on each arm. Yeah, yeah, it's the Heavy Arms or custom Gundam, wings. Gundam wing stuff. But uh, I forget what it's line. The, it's, it's not from a crazy. the movie. Yeah. It's not and, uh, a waltz. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a super expensive one, but it's a, but it's a cool model. I wanted to do some, uh, really use it for um, uh, some heavy weathering kind of stuff with some oil paints. So I was going to switch over to that, but I decided not to. When I get back from my vacation, I have I have a couple of new Gundam models in mind that I want to get. So I might just do like a palette cleanse of a couple of weeks of not painting any 40k stuff and just do, uh, um, just do some Gundams after uh, Summer Slaughter is wrapped up, and. Um, well, I guess we can talk about it at the end of the show, but I'm also pretty excited for some of the new Age of Sigmar stuff that was just released. Uh, Warcry goes on a pre-order next week, which is basically Kill Team for Age of Sigmar, and the box set, which they just announced over the weekend, is 
pretty awesome. The terrain in there is really crazy. It comes with two full warbands, plus these groups of beasts. And the beasts are really interesting models, and I could probably use those for other game systems, like uh, like Relic Blade, for instance. You can use kind of other random models to fill in your, some blanks in your army list for Relic Blade. Um, so I might use some of those Warcry beasts for uh, Relic Blade monsters. So And the terrain mm-hmm. looks really great. It, it's a really full box of like the mausoleum and little ruins and the gravestones, etc. There's some fences and a little gantry thing, so it looks like a really good box of terrain that you could use for a bunch of different stuff. Carl- Carlo? Yes? Is Tim dropping out to your ears? A little bit. Like a little pop. Pop, pop. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Alright. Well, well, we'll hope it recorded well. I think it's recording it records my stuff locally before it goes out over Skype, so hopefully it's okay. okay. Um, and in case you didn't hear all that, uh, everybody, um, I just said a bunch of awesome stuff that uh, you missed out on. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got most. I got almost all of it. I just right, had a, cool. heard a little crackle at the end. And in the name of full disclosure, I will reveal to you the name of my super secret model store. No, don't do it. We can't joke about it if you reveal it. It's like we were ready to get on your nerves about it. Yeah. (laughs) All right, never mind then. (laughs) It's like the bad guy killing the good guy in a story, and then like not having that, you know, that battle, that you know, worthy enemy anymore to do battle with. You know, we need to (laughs) constantly harass you about this. Right, I'll cut myself then. What we mean to say, Tim, is we don't want your charity. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into oh, it. Yeah, I'm yeah. Into we want to figure this out for ourselves. Yep. If you want, you can tell the listeners, and Lavelle and I will close our ears. Good. All right, cool. Um, so in today's episode, uh, section two, we're talking about um, a recap of Liberty Hammer, which was last month an awesome tournament at Red Caps Corner. For section three, which is tactical upload, we're going to do a list review of our 2,000-point lists for Summer Slaughter, which is an ITC tournament coming up in a couple of weeks, um, which will be awesome. And then we're going to talk about some book review things, and we'll wrap up the show. So do stay tuned. Stick with us. We have a super fun show talking about summer tournament fun, how to stay cool while you're under pressure from much DACA. Uh, we'll be back after a short break. Stay with us. Welcome back. Section 2. Normally this is our Welcome Scouts section, dedicated to welcoming new players of Warhammer 40,000 to the game. But this month we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to do a Liberty Hammer recap. You've heard us talk about Liberty Hammer many times here on the podcast before. It is a two-day narrative campaign event uh, that Joe Capina runs for, or out of, rather, Red Caps Corner in West Philadelphia. Um, we've been doing it for years. Day one is uh, singles games. Day two is double games. Doubles games. Lavelle and I did the doubles tournament, which is the Sunday. It is three rounds of 40k, each player bringing a thousand points to the table. So it is 2,000 versus 2,000. Uh, to recap, the the teams are divided in half. One half fighting for Lady Arsica. 
the other half fighting for Lord Cyrus. These are two characters that Joe has been developing since the beginning of Liberty Hammer several years ago. We have followed their narrative arc throughout this annual campaign. Last year we learned that Lady Arsica was not the the good lady fighting for the forces of the Imperium that we had thought. She turned out to be the bad woman, and Lord Cyrus turned out to be the good guy fighting on behalf of the Imperium. Uh, this year, Lavelle and I were uh, drafted slash grafted into the forces of Lady Arsica, so we were playing for the bad lady. Were is, we? Weren't we? No, I think we were on the dude side. This year, my, this year, Lavelle side, and I, this year, Lavelle yeah. and I were fighting for the forces of good on Lord Cyrus's right. side, <laughs> right? Because Lord Cyrus vanished last year, was rediscovered, <laughs> and then was killed again. Were taken out of action uh, really quickly. This on the first game of Sunday's play. That's right. Tim, let me jump in here. Let yeah. me just talk. You know, late. Th- th- we're recording this in early July. Later this month, we have a summer slaughter tournament at, at Gamers Heavens run by Basement War Gamers. And so we, we've talked about these two tournaments, and I want to talk about how they are very, very different. The summer slaughter event, it's a great event. It's full. It's almost full. It's, it's an incredible thing. And that is a competitive tournament. So you bring your, your A game, and you're competing using a competitive stance as you play the game. This is a narrative tournament where each game, I mean, you're still competitive, but the whole event is centered around telling a story. It fills the whole activity with an incredible amount of laughter. (laughs) It does indeed, yeah. So at the beginning of each round of Liberty Hammer, of this more narrative-style tournament, each team gets together and decides which pairing is going to take which mission. And... Each mission is set on a different the, – the opposing team picks a different board to play that mission on, and it affects the narrative outcome of the campaign, who wins at what board on what mission. And Joe's keeping track of all that and kind of guiding the narrative alongside of that. So it's really about the story and developing the story as opposed to just winning individual games for the, for the sake of where you end up on the, on the grid, so to speak. Let me give you a little bit. So our team name was Loquacious. <laughs> uh, Joe gives you your team name. <laughs> and so at the beginning of our turn, we'll say, Team Loquacious, we will play the convoy mission at the depot. And then the other team gets to decide what, which team they're going to put up to oppose us. They've all seen our – we've seen each other's list. And then based on their opposition – they also get to pick the board, the actual physical play board that we're going to pay on. And it balances things out. And it does a really, really good job at not just giving you pairings, but giving you involvement in, in how you're going to fight. For example, if Tim and I, we, we know our list is not going to do well against a horde army, what we may do is hold back and wait for a non-horde army to put forth a challenge. And then we'll be like, okay, we can do that and we can take them and then we'll join there. It never works out. It all It's all great in theory when you're sitting on your side of the table, but it never works out when you hit the table. But it does make for a really cool interaction with your uh, team teammates, which is kind of fun. You, you do get it. It does inspire a lot of chat uh, between the between the, uh, you know, the teams that are on the same team, Lady Arsica or Lord Cyrus. So it's a it's more interactive in that sense. It's more social, which is kind of nice. It's not just you looking at your list, figuring out who you're going to play as like in a proper gt tournament yeah right the other thing that joe did is joe will 
adjusts the terrain secretly. He may give one side or one battle different pluses. And these are generally not game-breaking, but they adjust the game and they can sh- he can use it to shift the narrative. And so you might roll and he might already know which table that a particular ally is on. In this particular tournament... <laughs> joke started out which is a great thing joke gave, it was probably because at the last tournament everybody tried to jump on me <laughs> joe gave me three blank cheats and so this is what a cheat is it's just one thing that you can do in your game it's generally once per turn or once per round something like that and it allows you to break the rules and so he gave me three blank cheats and as we talk about our experience, I'm going to show you how we decided to use those cheats in each one of our games. Good, good. All right, let's, let's start with game one. Um, this was the morning. This was Sunday morning. This is our first game right out of the gate. Uh, we were playing Andrew and Thomas. Andrew brought uh, Slanesh Force, and Thomas had Red Corsairs. We had picked the comms relay mission, which means after you set up, you put a comms relay in the center of the table, and Joe's made some really great super colorful, easy-to-follow terrain additions to represent what the comms relay is. Um, And it's worth a varying number of points at the end. The comms relay itself is worth a varying number of points at the end of the game based on whether or not it has been destroyed. It has a a, a profile um, like any fortification. It's a building. Um, So it can be destroyed. Uh, It's worth different points if you control it versus the other player controls it. It's worth a different number of points if it's not destroyed or destroyed, etc., um, and there's also four objective markers that kind of come out from that comms relay representing, you know, different, uh, you know, uplink points, etc. Uh, so that was the mission we chose to do uh, hammer and anvil deployment, although that might have been prescribed by the mission now that I'm thinking about it. So it was hammer and anvil, Slanesh and Red Corsairs, which was a great narrative mix of armies. That was a really smart pairing on their part, I thought. And Lavelle and I brought custodies and Grey Knights. Tim, let me let me let me back up. Yeah. I have the mission packet right here in front of me. Oh, good, you're running. Um, yeah. So, comms facility was actually Dawn of War. Um, it would be interesting. It, let's reach out to Joe and see if he's okay with us posting the mission packet to um, to our Facebook page or something. Great idea. Yep. Because it, you know, it it's just. The work that he puts into it and the way it, it, it ends up coming is, is really, really good. So I'd like to see if we can post that. Great. So I, it was Dawn of War. The, the, we get to – I think the way it worked is we get to nominate a point on the battle that met specific uh, um, parameters, and they got to nominate a point. And then we rolled. Whoever rolled off, whoever got the highest one, we could select which one of the locations the, the facility went into. Yep. So that way, nobody places. You know, it's it was it's allowed. It's it had pluses and minuses, I should say. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there were four primary objective markers, each kind of twelve inches from wherever the comms facility went. Now, Tim, uh, let me. Their army was really, really good. Oh yeah. And we had not seen. Uh, let me say, I hadn't seen the Slanesh pieces in action. Well, these, yeah, these were the brand new Slanesh models that just came out, and we should talk a little bit about them. Andrew had brought these to the table. They were unpainted, but he was really familiar with the rules, which was awesome. These rules are in the June uh, 2019 White Dwarf. These are the new demons of Slanesh. 
So he had brought Silesk, which is the model with the whip with the other model on top of it, kind of standing on his shoulders. Um, the mask, which is the mirror. And the and that isn't that is is that where the 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 sorcerer on the or the the guy on the the giant bug came out or is that? I'm looking again. I'm looking here. Hang on one second. That is the. I'm in trouble figuring out which one of these is which. I know he had brought Celesque. He did not bring uh, Shalaxi Hellbane. It was uh, the contorted epitome. That was it. Contorted epitome was the uh, was the mirror, which is a great little model because uh, it has this rule: horrible fascination. If an enemy unit within six inches of any models of your army with this ability is chosen to fall back, your opponent rolls 3d6. If the result is equal to or greater than the highest leadership characteristic in that unit, the unit cannot fall back. It can manifest two psychic powers. It has ravaging claws and coiled tentacles. Plus one to deny the witch tests. Is that the right one? Yes, it's cavalry. That's right. Yes, it's a it's a mirror cavalry piece. Yeah, which is unusual, but you know, I, and the Sam, and sorry, Lavelle, the, the the big one there was the ravaging claws, right? When this when the bear fights, it makes eight additional attacks with this weapon, and six ups have a uh, AP minus four. That's awesome. So a total of ten attacks, uh, sixes are minus four. Pretty strong. Strength five, AP minus one, two damage on those ravaging claws. Ouch! That's where the that's where the pain came from. <laughs> yeah. Tim, Tim, listen. Mm-hmm. On that day, on that day, Tim, I know we experienced a couple of Slanesh models, and those Slanesh models and was the Keeper of Secrets. It was the the Vengeful Allegiance. Yep. And it was also the harp, the Inferno and Rapturous. I can't remember if they were all – they couldn't have all been in the same game. You're right. He did have the harp as well. That one is not in the White Dwarf. That's the one I was looking for. Yes. Right. And so that was um, – that. <laughs> maybe it was just me, but it really took me by surprise. I was, I was like, what, what? It does oh, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they, did a, they had a one-time use rule. I, I think it was on the Slanesh side where – it was basically it, it made my initiative like ten to speak in seventh edition terms, so I couldn't do anything until the end of the turn, which was really interesting. It was one time use. I felt the blood like totally drain out of my face when <laughs> when that happened because I was already I forget I think I had my one of my nemesis dread knights like ready to get in there and start getting getting into a demon prince in close combat, and all of a sudden I was like, nope, can't do that until the end of the turn. So that was. It was intense. I don't think he survived, did he? No, he did not survive. No, that was really intense. They also um, had that Ark Lord Discordant. Yes. And that, that thing, it, it, it got across the table so fast. Super fast, yeah. Now, I want to pause and say, I wanted to use a specific cheat. Because <laughs> I get to decide what the cheat was. If we would have done my suggestion, 
I think we would have done much better. You're right. But You're right. You're right. <laughs> Tim wanted to tone it down. I said, Tim, if we could do anything, why are we doing something small? So, so Lavelle proposed right as we were starting to roll the dice on the first turn uh, that our opponent could not attack, could not charge, could not charge, could not charge, charge turn one, first turn. could not charge first turn. Which I thought was a little intense because their entire their entire strategy was to get in and start mixing it up with us turn one, and yeah, I have a, I think, and I have a I close think, combat army, so I wanted to get in with them too, you know, with the gray knights. I think we we I tried I I think I triggered my cheat in this particular instance before the first round. We didn't know who was going first. Right, right. And I I said oh, okay, no charges, and they were like what? <laughs> and Tim was like no no. Be fair. And I said, hey, cheat. We didn't get a cheat to be fair. We reduced it to what I just, because I, I liked each one of the cheats. I gave a little name. Unstable footing. That's Minus it. three to charges on turn one. And it affected both of us. Minus yeah. three. But we, we had a shooting army. I had a shooting army. You did have a shooting army. Yes. So let's pause for a second before we go on. Let's just talk about our list. And um, at a later they, let's also post our list to the Facebook page or someplace where people can see it. I chose an Adeptus Custodes um, detachment. I chose a battalion. I had a shield captain with a Castellan axe, and his relic was the Eagle Eye, so he had a three-up invuln. I chose my always-good-to-go-to shield captain on a Dawn Eagle jet bike, and he had Orca Aquilus, which is the um, um, which gives him a, the ability to re, uh, uh, re-roll charges, re-roll fail charges, as well as um, a three-up involve. Now, I chose, and this is a little controversial, I chose the Warlord trait Radiant Mantle. And so Superior Creation, Radiant Mantle, that kind of duality, I, I always hear arguments about. Superior Creation gives you a feel-no-pain. Radiant Mantle gives you a minus one to hit. And so I, I like the minus one to hit because it works in shooting as well as in, um, in melee. I had a Galatis uh, Grav Tank. You know what? I, I think I said I, I, I am incorrect. I did not have a battalion. I had a spearhead detachment. Right, right, because you only had very and, few command points. Yeah. I only had four command points. Right. And I had already used one for the extra relic, so I was down to three. I chose the Galatis Grav Tank with the twin Elastis Accelerator and the Lastris Bolt Cannon. Uh, and this is what really got people. I chose two Telemann head uh, dreadnoughts, one with double um, Arachnid Storm cannons, and the other with double Elastris Accelerator culverns. So I was, I was, <laughs> as, as was commented <laughs> in our third game, I was deleting units <laughs> from the other side of the table. Turn one, it was an intense amount of firepower. Yes. So I said, "No, let's not get charged." Tim said, "Well, let's see what happens." <laughs> And Tim, if you would explain what happened. <sighs> they got right up in our grill, turn one, regardless of the minus three. They did get the uh, the comms depot, uh, turn one, with that um, – uh, what's what's the name of the model of value you just mentioned it, the really fast one? Uh, the uh, Arc Lord Discordant. Thank you, Lord Discordant. Right. Lord Discordant got right up on that uh, the comms uh, depot, uh, turn one. Um and it was very intense. They were able to get in with a couple of units, turn one, and uh, start mixing things up right away, right from the jump. Tim, um, I'm confused. We used a different word. 
we, we're replacing dis- uh, uh, intense. We're replacing the word disgusting with intense. <laughs> I, I must say, I missed that memo. It, it was it was pretty brutal. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. Yeah. Our war cry became not in the face. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna scratch my armor. <laughs> I want to say it was a very. I'm gonna use your word intense game. Yeah. But in the end. Tim and I made some really, really good tactical decisions, and we ended up with a minor loss. Yeah. We yeah, ended we, up with we, a minor had, loss. We had models on the table at the end of the game. Uh, the final score was 12 to 9. We did lose. But uh, we, we held our own after we kind of got a feel for what those Slanesh models were doing and what that Lord Discordant was capable of. And... You know, we we kind of figured out how our armies were going to work together the best. That was the first time I'd taken uh, Grey Knights to be paired with the Custodies. So it did take us a couple of rounds to kind of figure out how to who should be doing what each turn. Uh, but I feel like at the end of that game, we started to get a handle on it. And I think that really shows in game two, uh, which we can move on to if you're okay with that, Lavelle. Because I feel like games two and three, you and I had a much better rhythm going of what Absolutely. was supposed to Let's happen go. and when. Yeah. So game two uh, was Salem's Orcs and Ben's Tau. This was the mission was Supply Depot, which Lavelle, if you could look up Supply Depot and fill us in on what Supply Depot was about, it's basically just objective markers, and you pick what happens with each one, I believe. So, in Supply Depot, again, it's Dawn of War. Um, I think we might have made a decision that Dawn of War worked for us best, and that's why we were leaning towards that. Um. Um, we place supply markers in our deployment zone and the opponent's deployment zone and then in neither deployment zones. I think it's very similar to a mission um, um, from, I think, uh, Chapter Proof 2018. But you have the ability – you don't know until you get there what the value of it is. And so you roll as soon as you get there. You determine its victory points. And then at the end of the game um, – at the game end, you decide. Um, I think you could you, you. I'm looking at it right now. Um, you cannot. You can never repeat a value. Correct. So each one winds up being a, worth a discrete amount of points, and that's the only one worth that particular amount of points. Yes. Right. And so you had to hold it. And so. Um, Talk a little bit about the game before I go. Yeah, so I feel like we were in a much better rhythm. We had picked the secondaries of destroying heavy support because they, the Salem had several of those orc, uh, um, what are they called, artillery pieces, which are heavy support pieces. Uh, Tau had a couple of, he had three broadsides, which are heavy supports for the Tau. He had put those uh, kind of left, right, and center of their deployment zone way in the back because they have nice long-range shooting. So we were after heavy supports, and we were after those objectives throughout the game. Um, We had gotten first turn. We had positioned ourselves well, and uh, I mentioned rhythm. Uh, Our rhythm was good, and we we wound up destroying uh, three units in turn one, which felt really good to do. And that was a good combination of your shooting, my uh, using um, Gate Gate of Infinity to get right up in front of them and then charge in. So I had I had stuff on their side of the table turn one in close combat, which was really great. Um, that was the first couple of turns of that game were were, were re- the first two turns of that game were really good for us. It, it was also they were really bad for them because at one point the, the dice were definitely not going in Salem's favor. Uh, at one point his orc psyker he only had one orc psyker, and with that with with the orc army you really need that to jump. 
psychic right. ability to go off, right? So he was using that to good effect. He did manage to, to cast it uh, two or three times, I believe. Um, but he did roll perils and then re-roll and then perils the second time, which was really <laughs> unfor- <laughs> unfortunate. It did make us all laugh. It was a big, whoa, kind of moment at the table, which was super fun. Um, their attitude about it was great. You know, sometimes the, uh, the dice just don't go in your favor. And that was definitely the case during that game. Um, it was a slower game. The orcs have a ton of dice. You know, the Tau have a ton of shooting. I have a lot of psychic. So it did take us a while to get through the first. I think we only got through three turns of that game. Um, but uh, but their attitude is great. We did have a super fun time. We wound up winning that one, uh, nineteen eleven, and that was now, Supply Depot. Yeah. What was your opinion on that one? So, so uh, let me just say something. My cheat for that game because we did arbitrarily. Tim and I decided we would use one cheat per game. Our cheat per, for that game was what we call um, Cover of Darkness, and so anything that shot, and that was for both of us, beyond fifteen inches had minus one to hit. And so um, that worked well. Now, I want to back up and talk about we chose uh, Seek and Destroy, which is Destroy Heavy um, support options. And when we made that decision, one of the things that drove it is their heavy support options could absolutely devastate us. And so if we didn't get rid of them, we would be in serious, serious trouble. Right. And so, you know, we don't have a choice. Those guys have got to go. So if we're going, we got to get them anyway. Let's get some victory points. Let's get some points. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, those those broadsides can be really nasty. Um, The way we had deployed uh, the we were just outside of some of the town shooting range, but it wasn't very much. And with my army, you know, I want to get up there as quickly as possible. So it didn't take very long before we were right in there. Turn one, Um, turn one, you destroyed one of the broadsides right off the jump with your Gladius grav tank, I believe. And I was able to get in with uh, one of my squads and take out one of those heavy support pieces. It was a, it, it was a good game for us. We had a good, we had a good rhythm and a good flow. And I feel like maybe just by accident, it was just good kismet, but I think our armies were working together as we had hoped, you know. Right. So one of the things was, you know, this was really our first time of getting on the table together. And it did that first game. We were still figuring out, OK, I can take care of that. And if I say as a player, I can take care of that. You can focus your attention in another area. And so it, it took us a while to get there. Yep. yep. And this, this was only my second this was the, literally the second day I had played my Grey Knights army. It's a brand new army for me. So this was me really figuring out, okay, and trying to remember what was what. Because there, there was one point, I forgot to mention this in game one, despite the fact that I had printed out psychic cards for each unit so I could put the card with the unit to remember what psychic ability they had, I did forget Hammerhand in a really important close combat in that first game. So there are things, you know, I was still trying to get my mind around what the Grey Knights are and how they're supposed to work, let alone pair them with your army. But, you know, by virtue of the fact of, you know, you, you and I speaking a lot during our games, I feel like second and third game, we, we got a, a good handle on it. I agree. Let's go to game three. Okay. This, this was an awesome game. This was uh, Nick and Sam, Sam from Basin War Gamers, Sam Lucidi, who's awesome player. Always had a, I played against Sam a couple of times, always educational. I always come away from a game with Sam, a better player than I went in. Which is pretty great. <laughs> um, Nick had brought Blood Angels, and Sam had brought some uh, Death Guard. And we had played the Convoy Mission. Lavelle, can you fill us in on the Convoy Mission? It has these great-looking buses, basically. So, listen. The Convoy Mission is a mission that Joe invented, 
and it is one of my favorite tournament missions. So there is a transport. The transport can move 12 inches. It has it can hold up to six models. It has smoke launchers that it can use for on four separate turns. And it has an advanced repair system which allows it to recover two lost wounds on a turn um, if it rolls a six. And um, and it gets whatever faction keyword you have. We have a transport and the opponent has a transport. And it's Dawn of War deployment again. The objective is you get objective points for getting your transport off the other side of the table. It has a movement of 12, a strength of 6, a toughness of 7, 12 wounds, and a 3 plus save. Okay. Now, I'm gonna, I want to pause and say this. I, I know this mission. I really, really like this mission. And this was the second time I've won with this mission because it took me a while to really understand what you need to do. A couple of things. Even though we won this game, it was... What was the? Do you have the final score? I don't. I did. This is the only score I did not write down in the day. I, it wasn't by very much. I think it was two points or something. Right. But even though we won the score early on the game, we had a good, strong tactical positional lead. Um, and I'm gonna tell you why I think that was. I knew sitting across the table from Sam that this game was not in the bag. It is never in the bag. Sam and Nick are both great players. And at any time, the worm can turn on you. Um, And that almost happened to us because uh, Sam's understanding, I don't want to just say the rule, Sam and Nick both, but the tactics and the structure behind the way the game works. If you have an opponent across the table, pay attention. Because, you know, you always learn something when you play those guys, but it can turn on you really, really fast. A couple of things, a couple of things saved us. I think Nick had never played against the Telemann Dreadnoughts. And so I was reaching across the table and touching his models and his units. And <laughs> as he said, it, are you done deleting my models? <laughs> um, in addition to that, I right, cheat for this game. And we use it, I think, at the, 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 on their turn and the third turn that really did it for us is I said we, could, we had the Emperor's Sight and we could re-roll failed saves. Right. Right. <laughs> and that, was the only, that cheat is what saved us. Because remember, he got his smash captain on my, my Warlord. That's right. And he was smashing. <laughs> yep, yep. There was, also was a cool, there was also a cool terrain feature. We'll talk about terrain overall in a bit. But on this particular board, there was a river feature running through the center of the board. And if you uh, ended your movement in the river, if you were infantry or dreadnought, I think you were carried towards the wall. So from where Lavelle and I were standing left to right, you were carried by the river X number of inches. I forget what it was. And along along the, the terrain piece that was the river. Right, right. So you were carried in the current, so to speak. And to get through the river, I think it was minus two to charges and advances, if I remember right. correctly. Something to that effect, yeah. So Nick's list was uh, Blood Angel Dreads and the Smash Captain. It was a smart thousand-point Blood Angel list. Um, it was... You know, it reminded me very much of like a seventh edition Blood Angels army, which was cool. Um, at one point, he had used the stratagem: is it Wings of Fury or the one where you can have a flying dreadnought? Basically, <laughs> I don't know what it is, <laughs> but is that's great. what it is—a flying it dreadnought. It was great. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, he had he, he used some stratagems really well. Uh, he wound up, I think, taking off my last unit uh, turn four. Um, I had some bad dice rolls towards the end of the game, and I had put one of my strike squads like way over on one side of the table 
and it was just bad positioning. So they got kind of chewed up as they were running to become useful. They were uh, they were taken off the board by some dreadnought fire. Yeah. Um, we had picked uh, destroying troops as our secondary objective, uh, which I feel like we did pretty well. I was able to gate of infinity a strike squad way into their deployment zone and kind of get at some uh, poxwalkers and plague marines from the back, which was cool. Uh, your yeah, you had chewed, you had started chewing up his blood angel stuff turn one. I think you took off a dread turn one. There was a librarian dread. Uh, I think that, that you took off turn two. Right. So a couple of things. One of the things about about the the scenario that's important. You get to place where that bulldog, the transport goes, and placing it with as close to a clear line of sight. I'm sorry, a clear run off the board is impossible. I mean, I'm, I'm not impossible. It's it's important. And so, yeah, so that's what we did. And they had theirs in cover. And so, you know, just the math behind having to turn it a lot makes it a little bit more challenging to run it off the board. And we ran ours off the board and I screened with a, a custodian unit. But from the very beginning, what was that? The Dredale uh, Dreadnought the he Dredeo had? Dredale Dreadnought, yeah. 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 He had that and I knew immediately – that thing is going to just wreck this bulldog. Turn one, I focus fire on that. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was a good mission. With that one, it's you're you're gambling on base basically whether you want to hide the transport or just try to get as many victory points as you can early in the game, and then let it hopefully get it off the board, or if not, at least get it thirty six inches across the table, and then when the opponent blows it up, so you get a couple of points for getting it far across right. the table and not max points for getting it off the table. So we eked out a win there. It was the last game of the day. We were a little tired, but the energy I felt like was still good. It was, uh, you know, we had a lot of laughs during that game. It was super fun. Um, Nick had Nick had knights, which he was using for something else, I guess. I don't know. He had brought knights. I forget why they were there. But he had those knights data cards, which is the first time I had seen them in person out of the packaging. That was cool. Um, he didn't use them in our game, but that was neat to see, just as an aside. I like I like data cards. Wish we could see more of them in the game. Um, and it was a good tactical game on their port. I think we just we pulled off the win because we got our transport off the table and because, Lavelle, you were able to provide so much suppressing fire turn one and start taking off his big bad dreads turn one, and it worked out uh, in our favor. Now, I want we've gotten a lot of positive feedback about our last book review, <clears throat> um, The Emperor of Mankind, and people are checking it out. But I want to pause and say, when you think about the custodies and the Grey Knights together, it seems a little strange. The book Watchers of the Throne, The Emperor's Legion by Chris Raitt. In that book, it talks about the siege of Earth by the, you know, when corn came to Earth recently. And the custodies and the Grey Knights working together and the way they fit together. Um, it's it's a really good book. They have a couple of, of uh, they have a couple of chapters of them actually fighting side by side with the Sisters of Silence as awesome. well. Mm-hmm. The Grey Knights, the Sisters of Silence, and the um, the Custodies all fighting, and um, it really works well together. Having read that book, I understood how the two armies could work together, and I feel that our our combined list w- was really really good because one of the obvious weakness of the custodies army is the lack of psyker or psyker defense yep 
And so often I'll, I'll toss in a Calexus in the army and it cost me command points as well as army points. But knowing that the Grey Knights were there fighting side by side, the Silver and the Golden Brothers, it, I, I knew we would do well. It was a good balance, yeah, and it made for a really fun day. We wound up taking first for Lord Cyrus. So of our five teams on our team, we did come in first place. And I think it was fourth overall on the day, I think. But it was, super, it was. It was just great. Yeah, we had a. It was an awesome day. Can we talk about the terrain for a second, Lavelle? Wait, before we talk about the terrain, yeah. I want to talk about an experience. <laughs> so you play round one. Your team. We. You did your matchings. You did your pairing, and then the the tournament organizer, Joe, he allows your team to huddle together, regroup, and figure out what you're going to do next round. <laughs> and I think we, everybody on our side, had lost, <laughs> and all the heads were hanging low. Yes. And at one point, I said. Well, did anybody win? Everybody like, oh, <laughs> and it's just like, good grief! Yeah, things weren't looking good first game. No, <laughs> terrain. terrain. Let, let, let's talk about terrain for a second. This Red Caps is really. I know Lavelle, you're a big fan of store terrain being as good as it can be. I know you have given terrain to stores to have in their collection so people can enjoy it. Red Caps has been the beneficiary of a lot of great terrain by its community of players over the years, and that really shows up when Joe puts together tournaments like this when there are at least seven tables set up in the room, and all of the terrain was just awesome this time around. There was a chaos world with all these altars strewn about it. Uh, the Medea Refinery, which has been around Red Caps for years, that uh, Joe had put together as an awesome piece of terrain. Uh, some of Matt Lechtenberg's terrain was in there. What up, Matt? Stuff looked good on the table once again. Um, it, it really adds so much, especially in Don't these forget Tom McCall. Uh, that's right. Tom's terrain was there, too. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. Tom McCall had some stuff there, too. Um, it was just really nice to see narrative missions played on terrain that really lent itself, that really helped the story along. I want to talk about the terrain, two specific things. So the terrain on the tables, they made, it made sense. It looked like something, not just terrain put up, but we need more line and blocks. No, it looked like, for example, a landing pad. All the terrain there, it it. it fit the game's purpose, but it was structured on the table to look like exactly what it was supposed to be. An alien world, an altered, a defeated battle. It, it was really, really good in that regard. That's the first point. The second point is this. Joe's innovative rules for various pieces of terrain was excellent. Joe's innovative use of the terrain. So a lot of times people say, well, what's this? What's this? Get next to it and find out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, things would, so, things would happen based on what your models were in proximity to. Like the chaos world, there was uh, temples. And if you were near a temple, something happened on a D6, that kind of stuff. And every time somebody died, uh, a trooper died, near, uh, I think a troop unit or an infantry model died near it, we put a dice in this bin. We didn't know what that was going to do. <laughs> and I think those dices stayed with the table. And I think after it collected so many souls, it did something. Yep, there was some blood for the blood god in there. Yeah. So the whole process makes you makes you're playing the enemy, the opponent, as well as the terrain, and it makes all of those elements come together in a meaningful way. And it was it makes it really really fun. So maybe you want to run to that wall for cover. Maybe not. <laughs> right. Right. What's that wall going to do to you? Is it going to come alive right. and bite you? <laughs> 
Yeah, between the terrain having specific rules, between the mission pack having a lot of great uh, things happening in it with Joe's really innovative missions, and between our three cheats, uh, we had a we had a fun time of it. Emphasis on the seat, cheats. One thing that can't be stressed enough is how important tournament organizers are to our hobby. Uh, with that being said, big thanks to Joe for always putting together great events here in Philadelphia. Thanks to Red Caps for hosting these great events. And this time around, thanks to Jake, who has been helping Joe out run these events, uh, making sure everything goes smooth, making sure terrain, and making sure that mission bits and pieces are where they need to be throughout the day. So thanks a million, Joe. Thanks a million, Jake. And thank you, Red Caps, for hosting a great weekend of 40K. Thank you very much. I, w- I want to add one other thing. So we, people go and they, they build armies, they get in the hobby, and they think about certain things, the game and what they need to play. They don't always think about the terrain. They don't always think about the venue. But they, those two things do get some attention. Tournament organizers are an unrecognized, valuable asset to any community. Somebody is taking their time. Uh, it's more than a day. To organize and get everything and make sure everybody is enjoying the day. I have to give my hats off to the tournament organizers across all, all, all areas that take their time to do the tournament organization. And I want to tell more and more people, if you're interested, even just a little, and supporting the hobby in that way, reach out to the current tor- tournament organizers. I'm sure they'd love to help. But it's a way for you to learn more about the hobby, more about the game, and get involved more globally in your overall community. With that, we will take a short break. We will come back in a moment. We'll talk about our Summer Slaughter lists. Stay with us. Section 3, Tactical Upload. This is kind of a mix of Tactical Upload and Welcome Scouts, I guess. Um, We're going to talk about putting together a 2,000-point list for what will be a more competitive tournament. Uh, I know that we've all been kind of piecing together new and existing models to come up with a you know, new lists, relatively speaking. I think Lavelle's list is probably the most familiar to him. But for me, it's a, it's an all-new list with a new uh, a new way to play the Grey Knights. And I know, Carlo, you've been adding stuff to your list. Um, Lavelle, why don't you get us started talking about what you've been doing and how you've been thinking about putting together 2,000 points of fun for what will be a more competitive type of tournament. So I want to start by saying, in my list, one of the things, in the past... Um, I've been having a lot of fun and being really competitive, at least I perceive myself to be competitive, with my custodies. And I am actually going to the game, the tournament, with my custodies. One of the things that's interesting, though, is with the custodies army, you focus on winning, not necessarily surviving, which is really interesting. And not trying to so- save models by not engaging them has been something I've done in the past, but I've changed it. I've got a very strong list, and I'm trying something new, and I've been getting a couple of games in. Um, I'm playing Custodes. That's my primary. I have a battalion of Custodes and a vanguard of Inquisition, and I'll talk about that in a minute. 
So my custodies, I am actually bringing Trajan Valores to the table and a shield captain on a Dawn Eagle jet bike. I could get another shield captain as an HQ a little bit cheaper, but I, I'm really appreciating his reroll ones um, on to wound. And he has another ability to either heal wounds, his moment shackle, or to get command points back. I, I've, I've been having a lot of success for that, with that. I am still struggling with this warlord trait, and I'm going back and forth with my, um, my, uh, my shield captain on the Dawn Eagle jet bike between superior creation and radiant mantle. Superior creation gives you a five up, feel no pain. Radiant mantle makes you minus one to hit. So one is before whether you get hit or not, and one is after you get hit. Um, it was recommended to me, well, you know, the guy's already a, uh, a character, so it's hard to hit characters anyway because, you know, you can't, you got to shoot on, focus on the first, the unit that's closer to you. So you should go with the superior creation. However, if you've got a shield captain on the Dawn Eagle jet bike, you're going to kind of operate like a smash captain. And he is going out there. So what do you guys think about that? I like, you know, I generally because of the way I play, I throw my characters out there a lot. And it just depends. I think that the the, the, the um, Dawn Eagle, Eagle jet bike has a lot more survivability normally compared to a lot of other HQs. And stacking that minus one to hit on him just makes it like pretty deadly. I think. And you want something that can threaten. You want to be able to split up your army sometime. I feel like with custodies, you have such a low model count that there's a very high chance that you're going to, your HQs end up away from their protection. So it is good to have that minus one. And it's easy for people to sneak up behind you and like pop you with like, uh, like some fusion blasters, melted guns, stuff like that. The uh, Keller morphs. Um, so I think it is good to have that minus one. Well, what was the other option again? Superior creation is a five-up fill, no pain. So the uh, yes. great thing about that is it protects you from the mortal wound bombs and stuff like that. Um, so do you? how many wounds does the, does the HQ have on the jet bike? Six. Six. So he's not going to get like murdered outright by uh, Smite. In most cases, but um, you know, it really depends on what you think is more of a threat to you. Do you think he, he's going to get shot off the board, or do you think mortal wounds will kill you? Well, listen to most this: all custodies has have a six up against mortal wounds in the psychic phase. In the psychic phase, mind you. So, in the psychic phase, you know, it's um. They all have that, and I feel that most mortal wounds I'm getting, I've been getting in the psychic phase. Okay, I, there I are a lot of I apologize, he has seven wounds, and toughness six. Oh, yeah. So, let me I'll, just tell you, let me just tell you this other thing. I mm -hmm. also play with, um, what's it called? Um, I also have been playing with um, the Magnifica which is a Vexilla, it's a banner, and it gives you minus one to hit. So in the beginning of the game, he starts, if I give him Radiant Mantle, minus two to hit. Yeah. yeah I mean, I like, mean, so like minus one to hit, it's always going to prevent 
prevent more damage than I think a, a feel no pain in most cases. But it just depends on what you're more vulnerable to, right? So how 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 often do you have you you've played custodies a lot, so how often do you put him out by himself? Every time. He's got so, to go out. I think that's pretty much obvious and that he needs to have that minus one to make him the minus two to be hit. And then he wants to be in close combat, so people are going to have to come to him. Yeah. You know. Yeah, what do you, what do you I, think? I, I would agree, especially for the way that you play him. Is there something to be said for you want to be able to affect as many of your opponent's dice as possible? In which case, you would definitely want that minus one. So then you're affecting everything from your opponent coming at him in the shooting phase. So it seems like, to me, the math would work out in your favor if you're minus one, minus two with fly against everything that your opponent is throwing at you. He is a he is a you know a big popular target, especially the way you play him. You play him very aggressively. I mean, you want him in there, and that's that's just your play style with that army, which is awesome, and it, it always works pretty well. Um, so I think affecting the mo- more of your opponent's dice is going to benefit you more than giving you that uh, extra. Uh, five up, feel no pain. Okay. So the other elements of the army, and now, now, and this is when it gets a, a little brutal for my opponent. I have three units of um of uh, custodies, you know, uh, the regular guard, um, all the same. Two, sh- one um, shield and sword, and two guardian spears. Nothing there. I have my almost auto include with the, which is my parade or with the banner that gives minus one to hit. I'll talk about the little castle I built. But here's the thing now. I'm playing with three Telemann head, uh, Dreadnoughts. Remember, we? I, I think I played with two in our game, Tim. Um, and I am choosing... Um, I have a, a couple of mix. Um, I have the long-range guns that do an automatic two damage with more shots. And I have a combination... I'm bringing to- a total of six of the storm cannon. Um, I'm sorry, one, two, uh, three of the storm cannons. But I am leaving one close combat weapon um, because I we played that game when um, I'm pretty sure it was a game we played where I had a Carnifex in my face in my Telemann castle early, and you know it's not too many things survive the uh, the close combat weapon on that. And it also has a flamer. I'm, those three models, I castle up with my Trajan, who gives them plus um, reroll one. They're hitting on twos normally, but it gives them reroll ones on attack. And, you know, most of the time they're going to be wounding on twos and minimum three. And so um, it, they'll be able to reroll ones on damage as well. So that's my main body. But this is the thing that I've added. I've been working on psychic defense because, you know, that, that's a problem for me. I've added Eisenhorn. And at first I did him as a, just a, uh, an auxiliary detachment, but then I realized I could just throw in three acolytes. And they're like one, two-point models. And I get the full uh, Vanguard detachment. So I have Eisenhorn and three. Is that cheap? Acolytes? Ac- acolytes are one point. I'm sorry, or 10 points, one okay. power. I was like, two points? <laughs> one point? What? Why is there not a full army of these? <laughs> so, 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 what, 10 so, so what do you pay for Eisenhorn? 
I pay 100 points for Eisenhorn. Wow, so you got a 140, 130-point uh, Vanguard detachment. Uh, the awesome. way I have it kitted out now, because i got a couple of acolytes. i got a, a whole bunch of guys running around there. And uh, Eisenhorn, and I discovered this, and I've been experimenting with it, he can summon a daemon. True. When he does, you can put him, that daemon, in front of him to block charges from him. But it, it strips away like his leadership ability, doesn't it, or something it like would, that? Would but his leadership ten, custodies are leadership nine. Oh, okay, so yeah. not a big deal. And the three, the three, um, the, I'm sorry, the three, the two, you know, um, psychic powers I'm giving him is dominate, so you can take control of a character and either shoot once or swing once, and terrify, so you can take away uh, Overwatch for a unit. But oh, I, awesome. this is yeah, this is how I got came to Eisenhorn. Eisenhorn has can cast and deny two powers. So I figured, you know, that would give me some psychic shenanigans. But now here's so, the secret thing that I need. Go ahead. You go ahead because I got to talk about one other thing. Okay. So the only thing that worries me about Eisenhorn in your list is how slow he is compared to the rest of your army. How slow do you think Eisenhorn is? He moves six inches. So is the rest of my army. I thought you were bringing a lot of jet bikes. No, 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 no. I don't have a lot of jet bikes. I'm not that guy. Uh, okay. I have a lot of jet bikes, but um, I have the Guardian squads on foot. Okay, so you're bringing a lot of the regular troop. Right. The yes. only jet okay. bike I'm bringing right now is um, the Shield Captain. Okay. All right, then it, he'll be perfect there. Okay, now here's the thing. I am spending two command points. And 85 points to bring an assassin. Now, yeah, it's perfect because you can change it every game. That right? is what I wanted to talk about. What do you, yeah. because you could just lose the command point and bring one assassin, but I like the, the ability to, and I think it's good to decide at the table which assassin I'm going to bring. I know that's 10 times, it's worth the extra command point to do that for sure. You can. Really, like, because if you face Thousand Suns, you can bring the Kalexis. If you face, you know, an army where you maybe want to snipe certain characters, you bring the Vindicare or whatever, right? And, so. and the other thing is, or you, which, what the other thing that I can do is for Horde armies, I like the Everse, Everser. Yeah. Because, you know, he can pile in six and he can all kinds of crazy things. Yeah, he can move around really fast when he's in combat, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I, so, think, I think for the way you use assassins and how well you know the assassins, I think it's smart to give yourself the option game to game. That's cool. That's, that's my list. That's a good move. Really good move. Yeah. Are you worried at all about the, uh, the, the, the speed of your army across the table, especially seeing as how these are ITC missions, meaning it's all objective-based, and while the secondaries are important, you just kind of have different shapes of primaries to take? Um, I'm not really worried about it because I can put things in deep strike. Um, virtually anything in Deep Strike. Um, and the thing about it is the Teleman can reach out and touch anything. Generally, not, not, not to give my strategy away, generally, t- game w- turn one, um, I reach out and try to destroy all the hard-hitting units. That's generally my strategy. Try to destroy with my with my um, my Teleman. I try to destroy all the hard hitting units. Um, if it's a lot of hordes, I try to clear up and tie up hordes. Three custodies 
um, engaging a large horde of um, even, um, what do they call, uh, the corn berserkers who got all those attacks. They're really, really hard to remove. You've got nine models. Um, I'm sorry, nine wounds that you've got to get through where the first three of those wounds have a three up in bone and the rest of the six, the six remaining have a four up in bone. And they naturally five, have, right? Say it again. They're toughness five. Yes. Yeah. So, I, you know, I at first I was really, really concerned. But the more I played it, the more I realized these are nine hard wounds to get through. So I'm not necessarily worried about speed just yet. Um, I have been, um, you know, you got to pick your mission. You got to pick your secondaries. Um, and I got I'm the first one to admit I'm not really good at the ITC missions and they are not my favorite type of missions to play. But, um, you know, I, I think I, my prediction is that I will end up in the top third. Which is really, really hard because I'm going to tell you, the people we're playing with, they are really, really competitive. I said something. I just sold my, um, and I, I sold it for a cup of coffee, but my Death Guard Codex. And I got the Codex because I thought it would help me be more competitive against Sam. And it did not. <laughs> it didn't help. <laughs> it did not. I was like, screw this dumb book. <laughs> that book might have been poisoning your collection. So it's probably, you're probably better off without it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was right about that. Yeah. That's my while you're driving. <laughs> I'm going to say something else. Without, the other thing that's new about this, I've never done a two-day tournament. Hmm. Have you? Any of you guys? Nova. Yeah, other than Nova, I don't know. Good question. Well, it was, Nova and like with past, it, with past the tournament was over two days. Past well, past Liberty Hammers have been two days, and and, we, and I've done both. Oh yeah, but the, they've been separate events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that that's going to be interesting. Yeah, that'll be a, it'll be a challenge to have the physical I'm stamina to remember. To all of it. Now you got me thinking, Lavelle, about two day tournaments. Yeah. Yeah, I don't recall doing one. Yeah. You know, usually I play one day and go home crying. <laughs> End of story. Yeah, the, the thought of being yeah. in the car two nights in a row crying. It's a lot of crying. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, Carlo, what's your situation looking like for Summer Slaughter? I have made a list that. I've played a few games with, and some day, games I've done really well, and then a couple games not so well. So, But I am liking the list. It's really fun. Um, so I have two battalions. I'm bringing Space Wolves. Um, I'm taking four HQs, uh, a 15-man, a 13-man, and a 7-man Bloodclaw squads. Um, I'm basically I'm taking seven troop squads in this uh, in this list. So I'm taking um, three intercessor squads with power fist bolt rifle, uh, a ten man infiltrator squad with the helix adept that I can combat squad, and a two five mans. I'm taking uh, my three blood claw squads. Both of them have with space wolves. You could take a pack leader, and then you could pay extra to also take a wolf guard pack leader. So on my Wolfguard pack leader, he's taking Power Fist Storm Shield. And on my regular pack leader, he's taking a Power Fist. And they're all uh, Rest of Blood Claws, they're Chainsword Bolt Pistol. 
So, uh, which they naturally come as. So it's um, a bunch of bodies there. I'm taking two squads of Wolfen with Thunderhammer Stormshield and then the one Claw guy. I'm taking four HQs. Uh, so I'll be taking Null and uh, Runic Terminator armor. Uh, he can choose his three powers at the start of the battle. Um, so depending on what lists I'm playing against, I'll choose those. Uh, I'm taking a Wolf Lord with Jump Pack, Thunderhammer, and Stormshield, and Saga the Wolfkin. He's going to be my Warlord. Uh, with his Warlord trait, he gets net plus one attack. And then after the fate in which he kills five models cumulatively, so he could kill like two on the first turn and three on the other, um, he'll have uh, spread that as an aura. So that goes off after the phase in which he completes that task. Yep. Um, I'm also taking two Wolfguard battle leaders. Um, so the way that this is set up, and I'll have to go into it, I am 13 command points from two battalions, right? I'm spending three pregame, and this is the way I'm spending them. So with my first battalion is the three squads of Blood Claws and then the two Wolfguard battle leaders... I'm taking a Stalker pack. That's from the Vigilist book. Um, I'm paying one CP for that. I'm paying one CP to make uh, to get an additional Warlord trait from that Stalker pack, which is a Saga of the Savage. On a successful charge, he gets plus one attack. And then once he's done five wounds in one turn, in one fight phase, he can spread that as uh, an aura. Um, and then I'm taking another CP for an extra relic. Um, the cool thing about the Stalker pack is that it's got two stratagems that come in it. So both my battle leaders and all three squads of Blood Claws will have the Stalker pack keyword. Uh, the oh yeah, so my two battle leaders really quickly. One of them has a power axe and a storm shield. He's the one with the field commander stratagem. And I'm giving him the Iron Fang of Emigrimgul Relic Power Axe. It's uh, Strength plus 2, AP minus 2, D3 damage. And on a wound, a wound roll of a 6, it does D3 mortal wounds instead of his uh, D3 normal damage. Yep. So, And then uh, I got another Wolfguard Battle Leader that just has Storm Shield Thunderhammer. And I also have a Drop Pod. I am bringing a Drop Pod to this. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Interesting. Um, what, why the uh, why the drop pod? So uh, the drop pod allows me to take like the small squad of blood claws and then one of the wolfguard battle leaders and put them in my opponent's back line, or just I can just drop the bo- drop pod by itself. Um, I can use the drop pod to, you know, because they when they bring their doors down, that counts as their footprint. So that can allow me to disrupt flyers. Uh, I'm going to be seeing a lot of flyers, so I can throw throw that down, maybe force them to fly off the board kind of a thing, uh, depending. Because I know a lot of people, if I wait till turn three to drop that, they might not have it anticipated that, right? Uh, you don't see a lot of drop pods. Um, the... Uh, 
Carlos saying, you know, they don't see a lot of drop pods. Once they see it, they'll be confused and run around the table screaming. Good trick. Yeah. <laughs> good trick. Yep, good trick. I should, I should bring like three of them or something. <laughs> That's cool to give you that little extra mobility. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. So, and I have, um, my army's entirely on foot, so I need something that I could pop in the backfield. And um, my, sh- you know, I could, I've been toying with the idea of taking the drop pod out and a few other things and throwing in. Yorn just so I could shoot flyers down because this list doesn't have a lot that could take care of flyers. But um, I like the way the list is the way it is. I think it's going to have a lot of. I could basically. I have so many bodies. I could just throw them on in the cover on top of a, of a on top of objectives and just outlast my opponent basically. So I'm trying to play this list more towards objectives than like all out killing. However, if in the right circumstances, I can do six attacks per Blood Claw. So with the Wolf and Buff, plus one attack, and then with the two Warlord traits going off, Blood Claws will have six attacks on the charge each. So I have... Um, and then I have, like, that, those buffs also affect the rest of my army. Um, so I could be giving... You know, my intercessors with the Pacifist extra attacks. I could be giving the Wolfen extra attacks from the Warlord traits. So they'll be doing like, you know, 50. I could do like 54 Power Fist attacks in a turn or something like that. And then like 190 Chainsword attacks that hit on twos or something like if if all my uh, Blood Claw attacks go off. So I could potentially like really you know, a screen and a turn and make my way up to the big baddie that I need to kill and kill that too, you know, so. Um, Space Wolves have a lot of really interesting stratagems. I can, my characters, like for 2CP, I can attack when they die. So even if I have to push out somebody far out um, to deal with something, you know, uh, and they're assaulted, I can still get the last laugh there, so. I'm I'm interested in seeing how it goes. Uh, I've been daisy chaining um, the big squads of blood claws so I can get the um, the buffs off for them. Uh, Null has been really good at. I use him as a very defensive psyker, so I cast Stormcaller, which is warp charge eight, gives uh, everything within six inches the benefit of cover, so I can daisy chain my units out and give them cover. Uh, and have them on objectives like across the field, and then I can spend three CP to make everything within six inches on a successful cast of a psychic power. So um, my army like really just turtles up turn one and then just jumps down your throat turn two. So it's kind of badass. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Tim? I know you got the gray knights. Yeah. So there's this is this is what I'm doing, and the the challenges here for me are. And when I get back from my vacation, I have to make little markers so I remember all this stuff. There's a lot of overlapping bubbles in this list that I need to be really conscious of and not forget about. So I'm going to need to make something to help me think about that. So I'm taking a battalion and a vanguard detachment for a total of nine command points. Uh, My first three HQs in the battalion, they're going to be a brother captain, which is a cool model because he doubles the range of everyone within six inches smite ability. And the 
the, you know, the smite on the rest of the Grey Knights is pretty short, so it's going to uh, uh, double smite power, which is nice. He's uh, in Terminator armor. He's got uh, you know the usual Terminator stats, but he gives everybody that double range smite. Taking a Brotherhood uh, champion, which is a model that I really like. I used him at um, Liberty Hammer and had a good time with him. He gets um, he gets heroic sacrifice. So if he's slain in the fight phase, he can immediately pile in an attack before being removed as a casualty, which is super cool. And he also has this neat thing called the Perfect Warrior. Uh, at the beginning of every fight phase, you can choose a combat stance for him. It can be the Sword Strike stance or the Blade Shield stance. The one adds one to the wound rolls, and the other adds one to saving throws, which is kind of neat. And I'm taking the Grandmaster in Nemesis Dreadknight armor. Then I have three, uh, three six- and seven-man strike squads, all with the Falchions, which give them plus one attacks. The um, Another Nemesis Dreadknight is heavy support. And in the other detachment, I have Castellan Crow, which is a really cool model. Um, I've been having a good time painting him. He uh, has uh, Master Swordsman, so I reroll failed hit and wound rolls in the fight phase. In addition, uh, each time I make a successful wound, I get an additional attack with his Black Blade of Antwer, which is only strength user, so it's strength four, but uh, he can he can get quite a few attacks in. He's got base five, but for every successful one, after you know rerolling, you get an additional attack, which is kind of nice. His other cool thing is uh, Purifying Flame, so his smite which normally has a range of three inches, is automatically D6 mortal wounds. But putting him next to the captain gives him a six-inch D6 mortal wound smite, which is kind of neat. And he also has heroic sacrifice, so he gets to uh, pile in an attack uh, if he's killed in the fight phase. And he gets two uh, denies and two powers, which is kind of fun. Um, so for the elites in the... Um, uh, spearhead detachment, or the vanguard detachment rather. I'm taking an apothecary. This is the first time I'm using an apothecary model. I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. I'm putting a thunder hammer in his, basically a thunder hammer in his hands, which is kind of badass. So he can, um, he can bring You can do that with an apothecary? Yeah, you can give awesome. him, you can give him like the, the demon bane hammer thing, which is kind of, kind of nice. Um, so he, on a four up, uh, he can, you know, bring guys back to life, which is kind of nice. Um, he's also got a teleport strike, so he, you know he's basically just a Terminator with a hammer and can bring guys back to life. I'm taking a Paladin Ancient, so Paladins are like the more badass Terminators for the uh, the Grey Knights. And the stats on the Ancient, stand by. So the Paladin Ancient, he has a Sacred Banner, so he gets uh, add one to leadership, and they get one additional attacks, which is within six inches. So taking the Paladin Ancient with some of those strike squads with the two Falchions is a ton of close combat attacks, because that, that would be three attacks per model um, in those strike squads with the Falchions, so that's, that's kind of nice. Um, and he's got the cool banner, which I'm going to try to finish painting next week. And I'm taking a regular Paladin squad, which is three models... Um, it's a paragon and then two paladins. I'm giving them a hammer and then the, uh, the falchions. They're like three wound terminators, those paladins. They got two up save. Uh, everything else is just like a terminator except They have three wounds and you can take them in squads of three, which is kind of nice. I like that. Um, and I'm taking a land raider crusader, uh, to kind of get some of these guys across the board, maybe to draw some fire. Um, I haven't really figured out if I want to take Drago in this list. I could, uh, you know, move some things around and take Drago, which would give uh, that Land Raider uh, reroll all uh, hits because he's Chapter Master. But uh, 
Not sure if I want to do that yet. I'm, I'm kind of excited about taking the uh, Apothecary and the Paladin Ancient, and I think the combination of the Brother Captain and Castellan Crow doing a 6-inch D6 Mortal Wound Smite is kind of interesting, too. Um, so it's not a ton of models. It's not a lot of high wound uh, shooting attacks, but if I can play them super aggressively, they're all going to take a combination of Hammerhand and um, Gate of Infinity. So my, my thing is just to be very aggressive, get them across the board as quickly as possible, uh, which we talked about in segment two. We, Lavelle and I were able to do that to, some, to, to good effect at Liberty Hammer last month. So if I keep them super mobile, just keep them in close combat all the time, play all those characters very aggressively in order to be able to take advantage of those bubbles and how they overlap and, and how that can really bring some, some extra punch to the army. Um, I'm curious to see how they do. I had a really good time playing them at Liberty Hammer. Uh, it was fun to be that mobile. It was fun to have a, a long psychic phase. This is the first army that I'm playing with this many psychers. Um, in the past, I've taken one or two librarians max in my Iron Hands list. And of course, the uh, Admech don't have any psychic ability whatsoever, so I've missed out on that the whole time that I've been playing the Admech. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that part of it. Um, the housekeeping part of it and remembering what everything has is going to be a challenge for me because I have a hard time in the moment, especially in a, a competitive play, remembering everything that I, that I can possibly do. But I'm going to make myself like a good one sheet, like a good diagram of who can do what, just as a, a cheat sheet so I don't forget. And I'm going to try to paint up little, you know, like poker chips or something to place with the squads to remember that, okay, the Brotherhood Ancient does this, Castellan Crow does this. You know, not to be obtrusive and definitely not to slow down play, but just so that I remember all the dice that I have to roll and all the abilities that I have to overlap and whatnot. Because that's a big part of what the Grey Knights are able to do with all these characters running around. So I'm hoping it'll go well. I'm um, you know a little bit concerned about the lack of high-powered shooting, uh, but I think with the number of close combat attacks that I can do, I could do reasonably well, and certainly have a fun time doing reasonably well. So I'm looking forward to it. Tim, how are you going to deal with vehicles? That's a, that's a great question. I think I'm going to ignore vehicles as much as possible. I think if there's a knight across from me, I think if there's, you know, some of the more dangerous, um, even land raiders across the table, I think I'm just going to avoid them as much as possible. I'm going to pretend they're not there as much as possible. Flyers, same thing. I'm just going to try to maneuver away, try to be smart about you know, what I can approach and attack and what I can't. There's some decent shooting attacks on those Nemesis Dread Knights, but not not much, you know. I don't have any Melta, I have the Flamer and the Psy Cannon, etc. But I don't have I don't have a ton of like really high strength shooting, which is an issue. But I think if I ignore them as much as possible, if I really remember to stick to the missions, to play the missions to the best of my abilities, then I don't know, might be alright. What do you suggest? What do you think? So the one thing I ran into when playing my buddy last week was the uh, so Necrons have something similar to a kill shot stratagem with the three croissants. Uh, what are they called, Lavelle? Oh, first of all, we find croissant to be derogatory. <laughs> <laughs> Doom sites. French, you know, pas- it, three it, pa- it, French pastries. Uh, um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's thank you. We prefer we prefer French pastries. No, they have a, a targeted amalgamum data. I think it's called, and you pick a spot and you roll for everything within the. I think it's either three or six inches of that spot, and on a four plus, I believe they take D three mortal wounds. Three. But Three, I'm sorry, thank you. That's <laughs> oh, you, the thing that was... Yeah, that's... I was tra- traumatized by that, actually. It was like, 
So you pick a spot, it's three inches, like you said, and that's uh, four for any unit, five for characters. It's 3d3 mortal wounds, which is insanely dangerous. It's similar to kill shot, right, with the predators. So you need to be able to kill one of those vehicles to prevent that strategy. But listen, that is, yeah, that's amalgamated targeting data. It's only one CP. And I'll just read this. Use this stratagem in your shooting phase. If a Dynasty Doom site from your army is within six inches of two other friendly Dynasty Doom sites, the Doom sites cannot fire their death rays this phase. Instead, select a point on the battlefield within 24 inches of all three vehicles that is visible to all of them. Roll a D6 for each unit within three inches of that point. Add one to the result if the unit being rolled for has five or more models, but subtract one if the unit being rolled for is a character. On a 4+, plus, that unit suffers 3d3 mortal wounds. That is a 1 CP, and you definitely turn 1. If you have three Doom Sipes across the table from you, it is a priority to get rid of one of them, because you need all three. Makes so, sense? Yep, yep. You have to get rid of one. So I think Tim is going to need something that could kill a vehicle in one turn. Because if that thing, if he goes second... And those, he gets two of those off on him. It's devastating. You know. So I mean? let's just talk about the Doom Sight for a second. It has a strength six, toughness six, 12 wounds with a three up save. You know, yeah. hit, so you're going to be hitting on minus one. Um, so, you know, it can be. It, it can be important to get 12 wounds is not a lot to go through. No, and one of a, my problems with the Doom site that doesn't have quantum shielding. Is he bringing the Torrent Flamer on the uh, the uh, baby carriers? I forget what they're called. You know uh, what I'm talking about? The Grey Knight uh, mech suits? Uh, yeah, the I think they come, they're called Grey Knight baby carriers. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they... <laughs> GKBCs. <laughs> uh, um, I think... Uh, I think I think Nemesis Dread Knight. Yeah, the Nemesis yeah, the Dread Nem- Knight. Yep. They have flamers, right? Yeah, one of the one of mine does. Yes, the one in the heavy support slot does. What's the uh, What's the uh, stats of the flamer? That's the heavy incinerator. It's a heavy D six, strength six, AP minus one, D two auto hitting. So it's two damage D six, which is nice. Okay, and you can't bring more than one of those. I can bring one of those. I'm bringing one and a heavy psi cannon, which is 24 inches, heavy six, strength seven, two damage. So everything's doing two damage. Okay, good. So those might be able to deal with like a, uh, like one of those flyers or a uh, maybe a, a predator. Yeah, for sure. Eliminate for sure. Um, one of those models from uh, preventing your opponent from getting those stratagems off. Yeah, because those things really knock you down. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to keep my eye on that. Yeah, and the uh, the Land Raider Crusader. This is the first time I'm playing a Crusader, which would be fun. Just got basically it's a bolter party with a multi melta, which is kind of nice. So the yeah the multi melts will be nice, but still, I don't know. I have to remember these frag assault launchers too at the front of that Crusader. So as a D6 each time this model finishes a charge within one inches of an enemy, on a four up D3 mortal wounds. So. It does. It benefits you to charge with this Land Raider Crusader, which is kind of nice. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I got to remember to do that. Yeah. 
unfortunately he can't cast Smite. The Land Raider does not cast Smite, which he totally should. <laughs> you know, if any of you guys are available this week, I can set some time aside and we can try to play our list. I'm down for that. You guys definitely should. I'll be on vacation, but you guys definitely should. I can come with you, Tim. Yes, come to California. It'll be lovely. Let's go. Oh, yes, that natural terrain in the botanical garden will be great. <laughs> That's right. That's for, right. For a battle report. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> so in terms of um, levels of competitiveness, uh, we talk a lot on the podcast about how you know, I, I certainly am more of a narrative type of a gamer. Um, while I enjoy trying to play as competitively as possible, I fully acknowledge I'm not a good competitive player. I play narrative armies that tend to not do well competitively across the country and then across the world in tournaments, etc. Um, but for one, I'm looking forward to being in a different kind of environment, a different vibe altogether, a different level of play. Um, and as we've talked about in this podcast before, uh, Basement War Gamers who are putting on this tournament have a great attitude despite the fact that they're super competitive players. Um, so l- let's talk about endurance, first of all, and mindset with regards to playing in a more competitive two-day tournament like this. I want to say the first thing you should do with your opponent is clearly state the type of player you are. I've had a lot of success. Um, If you're playing against a competitive player and you tell them, hey, you know what, I'm not a super competitive or I'm a competitive player, whatever it is, I think they will still play their game, but they will take that into consideration when evaluating how you are playing in terms of speed, et cetera, et cetera. And it's good to know, are you, is your player going to move this model? Are they going to painstakingly measure every micro <laughs> because they're a super competitive player and they're thinking about denying backfill, all of that stuff? It's, it's important to know that. Um, the, the other thing is bring your patience and bring your consideration. And I, I say this a lot to people. It's still just a game. Whether you're a competitive or narrative player, it's still just a game. So really work and struggle to make sure you have fun. I think I disagree with all of that. The first thing you should do is blind your opponent with pocket sand. And then get in there and, like, you know, swap his dice for some ones that roll ones all the time, you know. And then, <laughs> uh, nah, nah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think uh, definitely... Introduction is important, you know. You're going to a competitive tournament doesn't mean you can't like enjoy the games. You gotta, yeah. Um, I think uh, I think one thing is definitely to. This is a two day tournament. I'm bringing some Tylenol. I'm bringing some some bars, caffeine, some food, some emergency food bars, and some caffeine. That's going to be the now, I want to say at Gamers Heaven, <laughs> they do have food and they do have coffee. And you, oh, can, yes. bring, you can bring a cup and, the, and get just refills. I will be bringing my custodies cup. But, <laughs> Carlo, I got to say, nowhere in what I said did I say not to throw sand in your opponent's eyes. <laughs> right, I thought that was a given, whether you're narrative or, or competitive. Sand in the eye. I think might even be in the main rule book. That's pretty much there. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not, it's in vigilance. Yeah. <laughs> Minus two to your charge. Right. I and think. then you can, I think a brick in the head you can do for one CP point. 
We are not. <laughs> We are not promoting violence on this podcast. <laughs> you are bad tomorrow. I said, okay, I'd like to start. Okay, let's roll for initiative. Sand in the eye. <laughs> and that, and somebody said, judge, and the judge came over. I'm going to allow it. <laughs> it was very, uh, very unique strategy here. <laughs> I think staying physically comfortable and staying kind of vibe and energy across the table comfortable is going to be key. So, you know, things like staying hydrated, staying well-fed, staying caffeinated, and, you know, just keeping the, keeping the good vibes going, you know, keeping everything positive, uh, applauding your opponent's successes and uh, bemoaning your own failures is going to be important in a two-day uh, competitive tournament. So I think, it'll be a, I think it'll be a hell of a weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Let, let me say this. Um, the, the tournament organizers, the guys over at Basement Wargamer, um, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Don't hesitate to reach out for rules clarification for anything. Um, you know, the normal things apply. Clarify terrain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, make sure you have everything you need. Be prepared. But, you know, in the case of, a, of an issue, don't hesitate to reach out. One of the things that they are is they're fair, they're consistent, and these guys have run a lot of tournaments, a lot of tournaments. And they, they also use that, um, that Best Coast. Are you guys familiar with the Best Coast app? Oh, it's awesome. Don't forget to upload your list to there. And that way, when somebody says, okay, uh, Lavelle, you're matched up with Carlo. I can go right in and I can see his list right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it makes things easier. It keeps things moving. You know, communicate with the tournament organizer. Communicate with your, your, your competitor. And, you know, I know we all want to win, but be gracious. Gamers Heaven has decent food. And um, in general, you, you have to eat the food at Gamers Heaven. But next to Gamers Heaven, there is an Indian restaurant that will deliver and that the food is allowed. And, you know, if you don't want the pizza, you know, I usually because, you know, that that will do me in. I usually take the take advantage of it to actually get the food from next door as well as the food from Gamers Heaven. I always support them when I go. So, um there are other options other than just the food and gamers heaven. If you see me there, um, I will have a menu from that restaurant with me. I always keep it in my gaming bag. Don't ask me any questions. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me any questions. I will not be shamed. Nice. <laughs> cool. With that, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with section four. Welcome back. Section four. We don't have a book review today, but we're all going to kind of update our progress on reading Scatarius, which we are all reading slash listening to. I just finished it two nights ago. We won't get into the, what we thought about it just yet, but I, you know, I'm looking forward to chatting about it in the next episode. It does have a really nice, almost cliffhangery kind of ending, so I'm looking forward to getting the next book. This was one I had to find on eBay because it's out of print and I don't read the digital ones. Um, so it took me a while to get it and to... Uh, to read it, uh, but, but I'm enjoying it so far. Um, you guys are doing the audiobook, correct, of Scatarius? Correct. Correct. And this is a, t- this is a straightforward audiobook, not one of the audio dramas, right? So it's a reading of the book. 
Correct. Right. I, yes, I'm sure it is. Even though it does have some sound. Okay. Right. Cool. It's not just does the straight. Sound? I didn't know the sound I, I'm sound sure effects. it does. Some. Yeah. That's because it's integrated. I just did an audio drama too, and the I found the audio drama distracting a little bit mm. as opposed to this. It was really, really good. Cool. Um, now so let me say, let me be yeah, honest, I've, guys. I've already cheated. I finished that book, and I could not, I could not bear the cliffhanger. I advanced the next <laughs> book, and I finished that. Nice. <laughs> I have to say, like the I enjoy the audiobook format more than audio dramas. Just for that reason, like you said, it's more distracting the audio drama. I think like the audio books, it's easier for me to listen to something like that early in the morning when I wake up on the drive into work than to hear like explosions and stuff like that. You know, it's it's probably a very different kind of experience, I would imagine. I I I know we're not reviewing the book, but I want to talk a little bit about the story because I had a long conversation with my son, Akil, because he's reading it too. Um, one of the things that we're listening to it, one of the things that we talked about is it's interesting. I have trouble reading Horace Heresy books where I already know what's going to happen. Hmm. But it's interesting. The story is encapsulated. So, you know, it fits someplace but it's not tied to this overall story. And there are a lot of great stories that are just about this incident, this battle, that whatever it is. And um, I really, really enjoy that. Yeah, this is one of the more self-contained stories. This is very much like one of the books in the Space yeah, Marine Battle series where it's just – it's one battle, kind of one event. There's just enough detail. There's just enough – there's tons of flavor about the AdMech, which is what I really enjoyed about it. But we'll talk about that next month. Um, it's, there's a lot of AdMech flavor, and it's just very specific about one setup that, while seems like it's central to the fate of the Imperium, is probably not all that important in the grand scheme of things. Maybe not. Uh, but it, but you're right, Lavelle. It is cool to read something so focused and so specific that uh, you know, kind of just deals with uh, with one event, one battle. So, I have to well, say the the hard thing that I've the difficulty that I've had listening to it, and I think I would al- almost prefer to read it next time because of this, is that it's so some of the terminology is so admechy and technical that while I'm driving, I, I, I have to like rewind it several times to kind of to listen to it because I, I know when I'm reading a book, sometimes I have to reread a, like a couple pages when they become. Uh, when the vocabulary becomes cumbersome like that, you know yes, what I mean? Because it's very specific to the the genre or the the faction. I agree, but you know, I I ran and got my codex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> I wanted to say, okay, where do they fit in? Oh yeah, okay, cool. What what are they doing here? Oh yeah, I got it, got it, got it, got it. Yep, yep. The description of some of the uh, the, the names are kind of hard to keep track of at first because they're all you know number word word or word number word for all the different <laughs> admech guys. Yeah. So that takes a little bit of getting used to, and the uh, all of like the like the, the words regarding admech technologies or lack thereof are very unique to this to the admech. Some of them are unique to this book. So, yeah, Carlo, I have had to go back a couple of times while I was reading it to just, okay, I'm, clearly I missed something. I better go back because I didn't understand what that word was two pages ago. I missed something, so I have to go back. Yeah, that's happened to me a couple of times. Yeah, I like the naming conventions. I went to my wife and said, why do we not name our kids like this? Right, we need some numbers. <laughs> Designate two or three. <laughs> 
cool. Uh, yeah, because the take... squads, like when they, sorry, real yeah. quick, like yeah. the squads when they number the squads, it's just like you're in the squad and you're number one, basically, right? Kind of all the way through. Right. I feel like that's so what I picked they up from would, it. They, they will put the type of unit you are in, the squad that you. You're number three of that unit of that squad of that unit type. Yeah, and then some of them have a unique identifier, like a V, what whatever. It's like they'll give it a separate name to associate with that squad. And some of the roles, the um, I guess the hierarchical designation, like there's Primus, there's Princeps, there's you know the, how the Admech is kind of divided up hierarchically is also a, a big part of this book, which is neat too and hard to follow. <laughs> cool. With that, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with the Chosen and wrap this episode up. Stay with us. Welcome back. Section 5, The Chosen. We're almost done with this one here on a hot and humid Philadelphia morning. Um, I will go first with my Chosen of the Month. Um, You can remember two episodes. I was bemoaning the fact that I did not win or did not get to the website in time to order the Solar War Book 1. Well, I did make it in time to order the Solar War Book 2, so that's kind of cool. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, I was able to find the Solar War Book 1 on um, eBay or Amazon in uh, hardback, so it was like the the $20 version as opposed to the $80 version. So I'll read the Solar War Book 1 real soon and then look forward to receiving that uh, Solar War Book 2. It's a good feeling when... Oh my god, there's something limited edition. I better click fast and get it. And it's still available and you get it. That's very satisfying. So I did I did happen to, to click on the Black Library site at the right time last Saturday and did get uh, the Solar War Book 2. So I'm, I'm stoked. So I'm, I'm uh, my chosen is uh, getting the Black Library on time to get the cool book that you wanted. Lavelle, you mentioned Marauder Industries. And that is absolutely my my chosen. I while we spoke today, I've put together these movement trays, and I did play a game um, with the movement trays with my Necrons. I really got them because I I, I want to. I, I did, and I'll talk about this in our next show. I did get the uh, the Apocalypse box set, which you know really is triggered on movement trays the whole thing but these movement trays uh, i played them in the regular 40k game and i've seen people use them in age of sigmar they really really did um uh, speed up my play but what i was able to do working with marauder is uh their standard movement trays but you can design movement trays for her and and she Marauder will actually print them out. I got some, and I just put them together. My my I guess it's forty millimeter. My custody size units, um, two inches apart. I just I specifically in zigzagging. I specifically designed a couple of movement trays, which uh, she she drew out and she showed me the drawing. I approved them, and it's it's the, the more and it's it's convenient. Um, she's located in Philadelphia, and um, we we should add a link. For people to take a look but one of the things that um i also got was and this is the thing that's been great one of those counter sets where um you can put the dice in to show where how many command points you have how many victory points you have you turn and hers come with this tray that you can put cards in as well so you can put your objective cards or any stratagems that you know you want to use right there and to keep it all convenient she etched the logo Put the custodies in there, and she can etch any saying or model in there. 
you know, mine say by his will alone. It's been really, really good, and it really has. I'm into streamlining play so that I can focus not necessarily on moving things around so much, but the strategy and tactics I'm going to apply. So my chosen is, is Marauder Industries. Awesome. I'll put a link to the Facebook group. I'm looking at the site now. She does some really nice work, too. There's some good uh, etched wooden bits here. Really, really yeah, cool. But you know, the key thing I want to focus is th- there's stuff there, but the customization. Um um, and our Instagram right now, I think I put up in the Instagram, the uh, display boards that I'm putting together for the Inquisition, the Assassins, all of that is really great stuff. And I talked it over with her and she did a concept, sent it back to me to approve and actually cut them like that. It's great. Awesome. What about you, Carla? What do you got for us? I'm going to have to say the Primaris code is definitely coming out sometime soon. You know it's coming. Mm. Have you guys been following all the GW releases? And, fill, fill us in. Um, so a lot of uh, there's been a lot of uh, guessing as to now that we're kind of we're in the middle, almost towards the end of eighth right now. It's been a few years, um, and it seems like GW is trying to put some more emphasis on the. Primaris. Um, I think some Blood Angel strats just got leaked. For uh, I got I filled in from I got a, I got a source over here who's telling me that the uh, there's a strat that's one CP to upgrade a librarian to a chief librarian. It gets an additional power and an additional deny. Uh, the relic is a pistol, and the uh, um. CT is wound rolls of one and two versus blood ravens. Always, uh, so the chapter tactic of uh, wound rolls of one and two versus blood ravens always fail no matter what. Okay, so it's yep. Uh, so it looks like we might get some. Uh, I I feel like we're getting some some sort of a uh, primaris codex in the future. Interesting. Well, the blood angels are going to have a mini codex or a, 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 in the upcoming um, white dwarf, right? Yeah, they are. Nice. Oh, okay. Oh, these are Blood Ravens. Sorry, not Blood Angels. Ah, okay. I'm sorry. I think that's that's what I meant to say. Blood Angels already have a codec, right? Yeah, right. Right. The Blood Ravens. Blood Ravens. That's the July issue of White Dwarf. Yeah. Right. Right. And the Blood Ravens are from the video game, correct? They're from the Dawn of War series. They were made for the game. What? I don't know. I do believe so, yeah. That's where Gabriel Angelos, is that the character's name from the game? They had a limited edition model of him out last year. Uh, cool model. I, had, I bought the. There was a new comic book arc that was just about. It was. I guess it was to celebrate Dawn of War Three, which is the ill-fated most recent edition of the video game. Uh, there was a new comic book series. I think it's Gabriel Angelos who is the chapter master of the Blood Ravens, which I believe were created just for uh, the video game. I think. What, what's their successor chapter? What, their, which, what are they a successor chapter of? Shrouded in mystery. And believed to be tied to a dark truth related to the Horus Heresy. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> Powerful librarians, yes, yes. Chapter history. Uh, long and glorious service. However, they are, um, their records are either missing or locked away under inquisitorial seal. So we don't know. They, mm. We don't know where we don't know where they are from. Good stuff there. Gabriel Angelos is a captain of the third company. Well, this will be interesting. It, it will, we don't have that much longer to wait. 
Awesome. Great. Uh, we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening. Um, if you haven't registered yet, I think there's still a couple of slots left for Summer Slaughter, if I'm not mistaken. If not... There are no more um, 40K slots. There's oh. a wait list. Oh, I think wow. they might have some Age of Sigmar slots. Okay, so get in there and some Age of Sigmar. Um, if not, do stay tuned next month. We'll do a recap of how we made out at Summer Slaughter. We will talk about the Apocalypse box set. There's a ton ton more new GW stuff to talk about, too, which we'll do next episode. And we're talking about Imperial Assassins next month as well. So do look forward to that, and thank you for listening. And a reminder, do reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram if you're interested in receiving a Funko Pop 40K figure to paint as part of our painting competition. We've had some people respond. Thank you very much. We're going to keep it open for another month so we can send out a few more fun Funko Pops. So reach out to us, message us on Facebook or via Instagram. We'll get one out to you. If you live in the continental U.S., we'll send one in the mail to you. For Crew Shake and I have been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carlo. Thanks for listening.